just going to start out. Uh, let me put our little thing up here. I really felt last week I kind of touched a little bit. The, actually, you got if you came last week, you got two sermons, right? Got the end of my one series and then the beginning. And I told you guys last week, I don't know where we're going with this, but I really felt compelled to talk about revival. I think uh, it's been something that is going on, at least right now in our country, not just uh, uh, the one university, it has spread to other universities. How many of you got a chance? Anybody seen uh, Jesus Revolution yet, the movie? And how many of you seen it twice? Beth back there in the back. So <laughs> uh, it is worth going to. And, and it was all about the Jesus. Uh, you guys may have seen the little video that I put out. Maybe you didn't. It was like too long. It was like 10 minutes, Pastor. I already listened to you enough on Sunday, right? So uh, I'm just kidding. But God works, right? God is a creative God. He, all you got to do is barely even read the Gospels to realize Jesus doesn't do anything the same way that he... He always does everything different, doesn't he? Like, and, and you guys have heard me talk about like Jesus. Remember this time when he healed the guy? He spit in the mud and made mud out of his spit and put it in the guy's eyes. Anybody ever disgusted by that? Like, oh, imagine if Jesus would have healed that same way every time. Do you know what would be in churches today? We would have a little bowl of dirt, and we're like, come on up if you need to be healed. And the pastor or whoever's praying over you, you know, I'm going to pray for you, right? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't heal that way every time? Right? He was very different. How he cast demons out of people was different every time. How he ministered to people was different every time. And so why would it be any different when it came to revival? If you look at revivals throughout history, whether it uh, was in Ashbury, Brownsville, uh, Toronto, Azusa, you can go back, Great Awakening, they were different every time. God always did something different. So I, I pulled out my box that I had from the other day. Uh, we have our idea of what we think revival ought to look like. We look over here and it's like, oh, it's got to be just like this. And uh, God is sure to blow away our ideas of what things are supposed to look like. How many of you know God's bigger than our box? Yeah. Aren't you thankful for that? And so we're not looking to try to duplicate and try to do uh, exactly right what, what we have seen other people do. But I believe that there is an expectation in the church for revival, for something to happen, for God to move and see something. So I, I'm going to encourage you, whatever you think you think God ought to do, let's put that aside. And let's say, Holy Spirit, you do what you want to do. Amen. That's the best way to come to God. And God, I just want to see whatever it is. So I want to go back and, and talk about revival. Again, I touched on this and I had this definition last week, but I think it's important that we cover it again. Revival itself is not in the scripture, but we know revive is. God wants to, that's what revival is, is a revive. That's the process. But here's the definition. It's to regain life. And can I ask you this? If something is dead, and then all of a sudden it comes back again. How many of you know that's revival? Amen. Whether physically dead, Jesus actually healed people, raised people from the dead. Uh, it's happened uh, since then as well. But I'm talking about people spiritually dead. You see, Jesus, remember the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus? And he says, if you want to get into heaven, you've got to be born again. Because we are triune beings. We are spirit, soul, and body. Before you accept Jesus, all you are is body and soul. 
our spirit is not alive. Until you accept Christ, and that is revival right there, when you regain life, when you get life again, when you are born again in Him, what about receive consciousness? That's revive. If, if I've been unconscious, and that could be physically, but I mean, I, I think spiritually, sometimes we are unconscious and we are unaware of the presence of the Lord because we've allowed our heart to grow cold, We've allowed apathy, and listen, I think all, if you've been serving the Lord for any amount of time, you know that battle that apathy comes along. I don't, I've, not, I've yet to meet the person, man, I've been on fire for God for the last 50 years and never, never once struggled with that. Listen, it's just a reality. We have the tendency to grow cold, and we've got to, you know, even Paul said to Timothy, stir up, stir up that gift that's in you because we have the tendency to grow cold. So, when, when, we revi- when we get consciousness again, that's revival. What about strength? If you're weak, anybody ever been weak and then, uh, and then you got refreshed in him, right? Like it's been a hot day and you drink some water or maybe you get some food in your body you haven't eaten. That's revival right there. God restoring new strength and that is to give new strength. I believe that that is a different strength than what we have. You may be, oh man, I'm strong, I got this. Uh, but God promises a new, a different kind of strength that we can't get in ourselves. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that is a different kind of strength. Jesus says, you know, to wait until you receive power from on high. That's a different strength, isn't it? When you get that, that is revival. And then uh, energy, right? Just the strength and the energy to do the things that God has called us to do. All of that can happen in things that we call revival, am I right? But can and does God do those things in something that maybe we wouldn't classify as revival? Right? Did anybody get saved and commit your life to the Lord when there was not an official revival going on? Let me see hands here. Mine's up. There was no revival other than right here, right? Revival happened in your heart because God raised you up, but it wasn't, I didn't get saved in the Jesus movement. When that was going on, I was like six. I was not aware of God at that time. Uh, But let me tell you, when I accepted the Lord, and there's been many times in prayer, maybe come to a service where, man, God just fired me back up again. I got, I got excited in his presence. Maybe you came dragging in like, oh, I'm going to make it in here. And then God just does a work in you. And it's like, okay, that was not necessarily revival, but you've been revived. Right? So that's what I'm saying is that we don't know exactly what it is. Revival can happen in a few seconds. It can happen in an hour. It may be several hours. It may be several weeks. Uh, like I said, we don't have to define what it is. My challenge is to drop our expectations of what revival is and how it's supposed to look, and let's just get hungry for God and go after Him. Does that sound like a good plan? God, we just want whatever you have. I'm not going to try to push something. Come on, if you guys want, remember the song, if you want joy, you must clap for it. Remember that? It's like, come on, you guys better clap. You know what? You better jump. You better shout. You better do all of these things. No, you just go after God, and you allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do. Amen? Does that sound good? So uh, with that being said, I just want to say this. I want to see God move. Anyone with me? Right? I want to see God move in our church. I want to see God move in our El Dorado County, in our area. How many of you know California needs a move of God? Amen? We need a move of God. So does the rest of the United States. I know the rest of the United States thinks California, you guys are crazy out there. Yeah, but you know what? We're all without God, without Him. 
We all need him. Amen? So like, how many of you know the Jesus revolution that took place? That was unlike any other revival that ever happened. Like people, the hippies are coming in. What is going on here? And, uh, but you know what? I'm just saying, God, do it again. I want that. I want God. So, so last week I, got, I told you guys, I'm going to talk about revival. I didn't know what I was going to talk about. I didn't know what topic. And, and as I was going this week, I felt like the Lord put on my heart to speak about the feeding of the 5,000. And I'm just going to say, I was not sure how that was any relevant to revival. I don't think I've ever heard a message preached about the feeding of the 5,000. Not that there hasn't been, but I've never heard it. And how does that apply? So I'm like, okay, God, let's get into this story and let's see how that applies to us. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to have the scriptures up here, but it's in Matthew 14. The first 12 verses of Matthew 14 talk about John the Baptist and his death when Herod and uh, his wife, and all, they conceived that plan, cut off his head. Verse 12, it talks about Jesus, uh, John's disciples burying his body, and then they came to tell Jesus. So I want to pick it up at verse 14, where it says, as soon as Jesus heard the news, now what news did he just hear? The death of John the Baptist, right? And it says, Jesus left in a boat to a remote area, and we understand remote. We don't have to get into that. That's a place that is far off where nobody else is at. He just, he just wanted to get away because, yes, Jesus was 100% God, but at the same time, he was 100% man. Right? And I don't know how you kind of wrap your mind around that, but he still grieved. When there was loss, he still, and listen, if you've been through a time of grief, and listen, if you're alive, you've been through a time of grief. Sometimes you just want to be alone. You don't want anyone else around. Don't talk to me. Don't call me. Don't text me. Just let me be alone. That's where Jesus was at this moment. He wasn't going to a remote area because he thought, oh man, there's going to be a great ministry opportunity over there. No, he just he actually says it. He went to the area to be alone. That was what his desire was. And not to be around anyone. He just wanted to spend some time there. But look, if you look what happened... Jesus was not looking for a crowd, was he? But how many of you know crowds always seem to find him? No matter where he went, and it says this, then right after that, he got to the other side, but the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. Now, I don't know if you've ever imagined this, so he's on a lake, and he's like, I'm going to go over. I know that part of the lake nobody's at. It's remote. It's distant. I can just spend time alone. Somehow other people heard about this, and they ran around the lake to get there before Jesus. And it says from several towns. So, yes, towns were a lot closer than they are today, but still they were probably a couple of miles apart because in between the towns were places where they raised their sheep, you know, farmed their land. But still... Most of them probably had, I would guarantee, at least a two to five, maybe a ten-mile walk or run from wherever they were to get to where Jesus was. All right, that was quite a distance. How many of you would like to go to church without any car, no horse, nothing? You had to walk uh, to Placerville to go to church. I mean, if I, I live there, so uh, I could do that. But I mean, from here, an hour and a half. That's like, oh man, we better set out because it's going to be a long walk. They were willing to go wherever it was uh, in order to get there. And, uh, and I believe Jesus loved John. His purpose was to spend some time alone uh, and mourn. But he got there, and it says the crowd saw Why did they do this? Have you ever thought about 
Why would they have done that? Because there were teachers of religious law. There were the, the Jewish priests that were there. Why did they have to go to Jesus? Why did they have to do that? And I believe that Jesus had already built a reputation. There was something different about Jesus and all of the other teachers that were there. There were a lot of teachers. but So I want to back up. I want to give you a couple of verses that Jesus' reputation had already built. In Matthew 7, it says that Jesus had finished saying, so he's been teaching, and the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with what? Real authority, and I love this, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Like he taught something different that wasn't like what they used to hear. And let me just say this. This was not just saying that he was a great communicator. How many of you know there's some pastors that are amazing communicators? Some man, I, And I see some of them, I'm like, man, I wish I could communicate like that, right? And it's like, it's not about being a great communicator. That's not what they're talking about. There's authority. There's something different in how he spoke. And, and here's the Greek word uh, for authority there. Exousia is authority, which can mean jurisdiction, but it's also the power to act. So there was something different about how he taught. Now think about this. And as a New York police officer, if he were to show up here, could he uh, arrest somebody here? Why? Because he doesn't have, he doesn't have jurisdiction, right? That's not where, but guess what? Jesus has jurisdiction anywhere he goes. Doesn't the scripture say the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof? Everything belongs to him. So that's the authority. He has jurisdiction. Not only that, he has the power to act. I've got authority there. So what does that look like? What did Jesus' ministry look like is that he didn't just talk about truth. He actually demonstrated it. Isn't that different? Look at the very next verse. I know it goes into the next chapter, but it's actually the next verse. Uh, just a reminder, some of you guys already know it. Uh, we added chapters and verse in there just so that we could find Scripture. But chapter 7 rolls right into chapter 8. It says, The large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly a man with leprosy approached him, knelt before him, and said, Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. That's a great statement right there, isn't it? And I think it's kind of a statement a lot of us made because he was not doubting the ability. He wasn't doubting Jesus' authority. He's like, you can heal me. I know you can. I know that it's within your power. What his problem was is he's saying, but I don't know if you're willing. And how many of you know a lot of times that's kind of us? We, we, does anybody doubt that God can heal? No, we know that he can. Sometimes we wonder if he will. And that's why sometimes people have an apprehension to come to the altar to get prayer because it's, it's not that I don't think God can do it, I just don't know if he will do it. Right? I don't know if he'll do it for me. And so we kind of struggle with, uh, with that. We know he's got authority, but let me tell you, he's also got the power to do it. And I believe that he's willing to. Look what it says. Jesus reached out, touched him. He says, I am willing, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. That's authority right there, is that he was speaking that authority, but he also acted upon it and healed him. He didn't just say, yeah, you're right, I can heal you, and then say, well, that's the end of my sermon and I'm gone. No, he actually healed him. He actually did something about it. And uh, Jesus had authority over sickness. He had authority over disease. He had authority over demonic spirits. And, and let, can I just say this, because I'm not going to do a series on the authority you have in Christ, but I could... 
But I want you to understand, all the authority that Jesus had, we have it as well. In Christ. We don't always, you know, oh, you want me to pray for you? Well, I don't know. You know what? God, if it be your will, then let this happen. How many of you know that's not a statement of faith? Right? We need to pray. Listen, I've got the authority that God has given me, not because I can heal anybody. Listen, I can't heal anyone. But I know that Christ in me, because he's given me that authority, I know that he can do it. And I've seen him do it. Does that make sense? Sometimes we preach with part authority, we teach God's word, but we miss out on the power to act on disease and sickness. Man, I, I've got to do it. I've got to, I've got to preach God's word. And I, then we've got to actually follow through with it. Let me give you another example out of Mark. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue. He began to teach. Again, the people were amazed at his teachings, for he taught with, look, same thing, real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Jesus built a reputation about that, didn't he? And then look what happens. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now again, I'm going to pause here because I, I see these things play out in my head. Does anybody read scripture like that? Like, what did that look like? This man with an evil spirit is in the synagogue. He wasn't out on the street, right? He wasn't somewhere in the caves cutting himself or anything like that. In the synagogue was supposed to be the presence of the Lord, but guess what? That demon could sit comfortably in there without any problem because nobody in that room was expressing authority and walking in the authority that God had. Until Jesus came in and that demon couldn't sit quiet anymore. Have mercy. <laughs> you know, what are you doing here, Jesus? I know that you're here. When you walk with the authority that God has given you, how many of you know demons run from that? If a demon can sit comfortably in a church and everything is fine, then something's wrong. Am I right? Doesn't the scripture say, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and what is the devil going to do? Right. So if, if he is comfortable around you, something's wrong. Anyway, again, I could talk a lot about that, but I, we're just going to move on. Verse 26, uh, Jesus reprimanded the demon, basically, be quiet, come out of the man. And at that, the evil spirit screamed through the man in convulsions and came out of him. And then I love this, amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened what sort of new teaching is that they, they asked excitedly? It has such authority that even evil spirits obey him. So he was blowing their mind. True biblical teaching, I believe, is not just to have the right doctrine. It's not just about teaching the right thing. How many of you know it also has to have the right practice? Does that make sense? It's operating with the release of the miraculous supernatural that God has put within us. So let me give you two uh, fun theological words here. So you can just keep them in your library there. There's orthodoxy and orthopraxy. All right, you're like, what in the world? How many of you have heard of an orthodox church? Yeah. That's basic. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's basically saying we got the right opinion. It's saying we have right doctrine. Doctrine is what you believe, and you could have all the right beliefs in the world, but if you don't actually practice it, that's what orthopraxy is. That'd be like me talking about God wanting to heal, how God can heal, and then never praying for you. We've got to actually put it into practice. We've got to believe that what God says is true. I believe that he still heals. How many of you believe that? 
right? So we've got to begin to practice that. We've got, if you tell somebody on the street and they're struggling, you're like, hey, listen, I know God can heal. Maybe they're, you know, even what Pastor Colleen said, you know, anxiety and, and all of that. It's like, oh, I hear you got anxiety. Wow, that's rough. You know what? Take two of these. How many of you know that's not right practice? I believe that God can set you free from that. And so we pray with our practice, we put that into practice, amen? It's good to believe the right way, but it's also good to make sure you act on it, amen? Here's the thing, the teachers of religious law, they had the Old Testament. Healing is not a New Testament thing. How many of you know it's all through Scripture? All of the religious leaders, they just weren't practicing it. The Scripture says this in Psalms 107, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them from their sins. He sent His forth his word and healed them and he rescued them from the grave so all of the religious leaders they knew that god was healer but they just didn't put it into practice it's like yeah yeah he's probably not going to do it. of course god can do it he, they had the what is it? timothy says a form of godliness but denying its power and this morning i was reading this uh verse let me pull it up real quick out of first corinthians 4 20 it says for the kingdom of god is not just a lot of talk it is by living by God's power. Amen? We're not here just to talk about God's power. We're here to begin to walk in God's power. How many of you know that's what revival is? So that was Jesus' reputation. That's why people were willing to travel for miles because they knew there was something about Jesus that was different than what they were getting from their religious leaders, from their teachers of religious law. Jesus is the real deal. And listen, if you knew he's the real deal, we would walk to Placerville, right? We'd walk to Pollock Pines through all of that snow, you know, and get, like Jesus is up here. I'll put on the snow boots or whatever it takes, but I want to get to Jesus. There's a hunger. That was a, the hunger of all of the thousands of people. Can you imagine what that looked like? Like Jesus is on the boat, you know, I don't know if he was rowing or whatever, wind, uh, but thousands of people are like, listen, Jesus, I hear he's going to be over there. And they were going there. They were hungry. Jesus was looking for a quiet place, but there were hungry people that were on the way. And look at verse 14. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped out of the boat. Now, let me ask you this question. If you're looking for a place to be alone, you just want to get away, and you come and you see a huge crowd. How many of you be like, ah, oh, let me get back in the boat and go to another location? That's not what Jesus did. He saw the crowd, and he got out of the boat, and I love it, and he had compassion on them. How many of you know we serve a compassionate God that doesn't run from us when he sees a bunch of people just because he was looking to be alone. And because he had compassion, it says that he healed their sick. He got out and he began to heal their sick. The indication is that he healed every one of them that were sick, right? He didn't say that he healed just some of them. He healed their sick. Let me tell you, Jesus is always compassionate. The question is, and think about this, because they came from a number of different cities were the people that chose not to come, were they healed? No, there's no indication of that. Uh, those that might have been in the surrounding towns that, uh, and their buddy says, hey, listen, I hear where Jesus is going to be. Come on, let's go. And he says, you know what? I, I'm just not feeling it today. You know, I'm busy. I got this going on and I got this commitment. Guess what? You didn't show up. You didn't get healed. 
right? If you're not there, they didn't get anything from Jesus. They didn't get refreshed. They didn't get revived. They didn't get encouraged. They didn't get built up. Why? Because they weren't there. They weren't there. They could have been 10,000. Who knows? But, but only the ones that showed up. They couldn't be bothered with going that far to see Jesus. If Jesus wants to heal me, he can come here. Can Jesus do that? Of course he can, right? But here's the thing. There's a responsibility on our part. we got to put a little skin in the game, not just sit back and say, oh, you know what? You know what? If God wants to do this, he better come see me. How demanding is that? There's got to be a little bit of hunger on our part, like, God, I'm willing to do Whatever it takes to get into your presence, amen? When we pray for people to heal, like I said, obviously God can heal them everywhere, but I believe that when you come and you say, God, I want what you got, there's a hunger there. The bottom line is you got to show up. Everybody say, I got to show up. I got to be there. So, so they're there. He's healing them. Verse 15, it says, that evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the village and buy food for themselves. So what's going on here now? Jesus went there. He healed them. Now he's been teaching them all day long. It's starting to get a little late, and the disciples are like noticing something is going on. Hey, listen, these people didn't bring any food. They didn't bring any lunch with them. They didn't bring, and, and it's getting late, so they had an idea. Jesus, you need to do something about this. You need to send them away. It's interesting that the disciples were more concerned about these people getting physical food than the people that were there were concerned about it. Because none of them were like, hey, hon, it's getting a little late here. We better head back home. We better get back. McDonald's is closing at so-and-so time, so we better get back. They, did, they weren't even concerned because they were being fed by Jesus spiritual food that they have never had before. But the disciples noticed that these guys need some food. That's not a bad thing to notice, right? Especially if you've got to walk a long way. They need some food. So they came to Jesus, and they told him, listen, you need to do something about this. You need to uh, uh, step out and send them. And I love what Jesus says to them. He says, you know what? That's not necessary. You feed them. I don't need to send them away. Can I just say that sometimes when we see a need, and we want God to meet that need, sometimes we want to tell God how to meet that need. Am I right? Oh, God, look at this situation over here. This is what you need to do. And let me just say, I've been pastoring for a long time. There's been more than one time, more than a bunch of times, that I've had people come to me, and they said, you know what, I see there's this need. This is what you need to do. Pastor, you need to do this, or this is what the church needs to do. Right? And so the need that God revealed to them, they want to come and like basically pass the buck and say, this is what you need to do. This is what the church is supposed to do. And uh, that's kind of what they were doing to Jesus. Hey, listen, there's a need, Jesus. This is what you need to do. And Jesus says, listen, that's not necessary. You feed them. And listen, a few weeks ago, if you were here, I don't remember how many weeks ago, I was talking about Mark Rutland. How many of you guys remember? Some of you guys remember him. Anyway, uh, uh, he was telling, I was listening to a podcast because I listened to his podcast. He's a great teacher. I'd encourage you to listen to that if you listen to him. But he was telling about uh, back in the 80s, and nobody really understood. Nobody talked about human trafficking at that time. Uh, we knew stuff like sex trade. That stuff was going on. He didn't know anything about it, but he got invited to speak at a conference in Thailand. 
And how many of you know Thailand is a hotbed for sex trafficking? He got invited there. He got put up in one of the nicest hotels, and he's there kind of recovering from his jet lag. And uh, so all of a sudden, a knock at the door came. And he goes and answers the door. There's a man there with like an 11 or 12-year-old girl with him and basically says, listen, she, this is girl is a certified virgin. If you will pay me this amount of money, you can have and do what you want with her. He said, I was so enraged at that. He says, man, he goes, I'm going to call the cops and we're going we're gonna to have you arrested. And then he said, that man put his finger in my face. He goes, no, I'll call the cops and tell them what you were trying to do to this little girl. He goes, who do you think they're going to believe? Who do you think they're going to... And, uh, and he, was, he was nervous. He was scared. He didn't know what to do. And uh, he ended up not doing anything at that moment. The guy took off. And uh, the next day, he was meeting with the person that uh, was leading up the conference. He was a, he was a Thai person. And he, said, and he explained, this is what happened. And, uh, some, and he basically told the guy, he goes, somebody should do something about that. He goes, and then that guy kind of thought about it for a minute, and he looked at me, he goes, and he says, you're somebody. Think about that. He goes, uh, he goes but this isn't my country. This isn't my problem. I don't live here. This is, and he says, I went home. He goes, and I couldn't get that guy's words out of my head. You're somebody. You should do something about it. And, and it wasn't long after that he started raising money, and uh, he opened up, and Smith, he goes, and I'm not even called to this, but he goes, I opened up, and it was, it's called a house of grace, and I got a picture. Uh, these are a couple of little girls that got saved out of the sex trafficking industry in Thailand. He opened up another one in Nairobi, and I think there's been another. He goes, but this isn't what I've been called to do. How many of you know sometimes we excuse the things God puts in our face because that's not what we're called to? I didn't receive, oh, this is what you need to do. But he goes, I kept hearing, you do something about it. You're somebody. You can do it. That's basically, isn't that isn't what Jesus is saying? Oh, yeah, you know what? Uh, send these people away. No, you feed them. This is your job. I'm giving this to you. Uh, he said, I still think about that one girl that brought to his hotel room. He goes, and I still cry over it today. And this is like 40 years ago that that happened. But you know what? I, I love this one story he tells about it. It had me crying. I'm on, the, I'm on the treadmill listening to this podcast, and I'm like crying. And I didn't realize my wife was listening to it too, and she was out. And we come out. We're like, we're out of here. Both of us are just kind of weeping. And I don't know what the people at the gym thought. Like, man, these people have lost it. But uh, he says, he goes, I got asked to come and give this one lady away that, that we saved. And she goes, I don't have any family, but you're the only dad that I know. She goes, would you fly back here? And he, he said, he goes, I still, he, he started crying on the podcast, which caused us to, but he goes, you know what? I, I'm so thankful for that time. I don't know what happened to that girl. He goes, but I've been able to do something. And I believe that that's what God wants to do in us. He wants us to do something. Not pass the buck. Oh, you need to do that. You need to do that. You need to do this. We are somebody. And like I said, Jesus said that to his disciples. You feed them. And look at what happens in the, in the rest of the story. They come back with Jesus after he says, you do it. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. What is that? An excuse, right? That's an excuse. Aren't we good at offering God excuses? Hey, listen, I, I, I'd love to do that, Jesus, but this is all I got, right? I'd love to be able to do something. Like Mark Rell, he could have been like, I'd love to do something, but you know what? I speak at conferences. I pastor churches. He uh, was Bible college president. I got all these other things that I do. No, 
It's, we offer excuses. Think about Scripture. Aren't we all good at Did Moses offer God any excuses? I want you to go back. Who remembers what excuse Moses offered to God? Yeah, I hear you say it. I can't speak. I stutter. I'd love to do it, God, but I just can't. I can't talk very well. Gideon offered an excuse back to God. Like, I want you to do this. And once he comes back, he says, I'm the least in my tribe, and my tribe's the least. I'm a nobody. I'm just lower than a... I'm, I don't know. I was going to try and think of some southern thing to say, but let me move on. <laughs> Esther offered an excuse, right? When Mordecai says, you need to go to the king. Her excuse was, I can't approach the king because if I go when he doesn't call me, I may die. She offered that. And then I thought about Jonah. He didn't even offer God an excuse. He just ran the other way. Sometimes that's up. I don't even got to give you an excuse. God, I'm out of here. Somebody else do that. Somebody else has got to do that. So there's the question. What excuse have you given to God of why you can't do the things that he's called you to do? And it's quiet. Because I guarantee we've all given God an excuse. I can't do that. I only have five loaves and two fish. There's 5,000 plus people here. How do we do that? What did Jesus tell them? Bring them to me. Bring them to me. I believe that's a word that God wants for every one of us. Bring whatever little that you have to offer and bring it to me. Whatever little strength that you have, bring it here. And the scripture says that Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish, looked towards heaven, blessed them, then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to whom? The disciples who then distributed it to the people. So I want to stop right there and just... uh, think about they took the little bit Jesus took the little bit that they had he blessed it and and listen there's been discussion did he multiply it in the basket did he multiply it then did it multiply I don't care when it multiplied all I know is it multiplied once it got in their hands once they took that little bit and and he gave it to the disciples they distributed it so now I want to give you the six points of my sermon I haven't gotten to any of my points yet but I'm going to give it to you really quick okay This is, I believe, what revival looks like. We come to Jesus, just like the 5,000. They came. They showed up. Whatever whatever we want, if we want what God has, we have to actually be there. We can't be hiding off somewhere. If we're really hungry for the things that God has, then we will travel from whatever surrounding village and say, God, I want what you've got. I want whatever it is. I know that your ministry, Jesus, I know you are different than all these other religions in the world. So Jesus, here I am. What do you have for me? So we come to him. Secondly, as Jesus got out of the boat, remember he healed him. How many of you know Jesus heals us? And you may be here saying, well, I don't need a healing. I'm doing good. But how many of you know sometimes we need a spiritual healing? the first spiritual healing that you and I need is that if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, we've got to be born again. We've got to commit our life to him and say, God, I, I, want you to, I want to make you the Lord of my life. Sometimes that may be a, a repentance that needs to take place. Maybe you've just felt like life has worn you down and you need to be revived. There's that revival, right? Lord, I'm coming to you. Maybe you need to be refueled. Maybe you're just like exhausted. Maybe even as uh, Pastor Colleen was mentioned, the anxiety. Maybe you're like, I got all this anxiety. Listen, you need that lifted off of you. If you're going to do the things God called you to do, you can't walk around with that heaviness on you. 
You can't walk around with that. And so Jesus wants to heal you. He wants to re-energize. He wants to refresh. He wants to revive his people. Amen? So we've got to come to him. We've got to allow him. And after we do that, after Jesus touches us and takes all of that stuff off, then we can begin to actually see the needs of others around. Just like the disciples finally saw there were other needs that were there. Even though they went about it in the wrong way, they began to see that. Because when you are burdened with grief or anxiety or pain, whatever it is, how many of you know it's hard to see anybody else's need? Because all you see is yours. How many of you have heard you can't have a toothache and a backache and be a philosopher? Has anybody ever heard that? Who's had a toothache here? Come on. Yeah. Can you think about anything else? Do you want to do like long math or anything like that when you're in it? All you can think about is, man, my tooth hurts, right? Or your back, if your back is hurting you. You can't think about, you know, oh, that person has a problem. Well, I don't care, man, my tooth hurts and my back hurts. That's how it is. If we are carrying all of that weight, God wants to set us free so that we can help set other people free. But we won't even see other people's needs if we're carrying that weight. And so once, once God does that work, that's why these revivals are breaking forth. People are casting off weights. That's why sometimes those, pro- those processes go a long time. But how many of you know God can do it in a few seconds? If you come to him, he can set you free, whatever it is. Because once that is done, once you are healed and refreshed and revived and re-energized and what other rewords I can come up with... Once that happens, now you begin to see the needs of those that are around, and then check it out. We see the need, and we go to Jesus not to tell him how to fix it, and not to go to your pastor and tell him what he needs to do, but to say, God, this is the need. I am somebody. I don't have much. I don't have a lot, God. I may not even have the words. I don't know how to do this. But Lord, I'm bringing this to you and saying, Lord, would you bless what little I have? Because I want to tell you, whatever little you have or what you may think you have, how many of you know it's not enough to do the things that God's called you to do? Oh, well, I'm really smart, you know, and I've got this. And I'm, no, we, ha- we do not have enough to do the thing. If you have enough to do the things God called you to do, you're not doing God's things. You're doing your things. Does that make sense? Right? God's called us to do things that we can't do without him. So we've got to come to him and say, God, I'm inadequate. I don't have enough. Lord, would you bless what I have? And I believe that Jesus does that. Listen, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. Remember what Jesus told them, the disciples? Do not leave Jerusalem until you have been endued with power from on high. Because he was basically saying what you got is not enough to take this gospel into the othermost parts of the world. You've got to have that power that only comes from His Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gives us that power, begins to multiply our abilities, blesses us, and now we're able to revive others. See, that's what real revival is. Not just a bless me time. Ooh, man, I had a great time before the Lord. No, it's to take our brokenness and see Jesus heal it, multiply it, and then we begin to go and feed others. Amen? Does that make sense? We need to, we need to, and sometimes that just means I need to learn to wait on the Lord. I need to learn, and we talked about this last week, and listen, I I purposely ended early. I didn't know how long it was going to be, but I just want to spend some time. Yes, we have a little business meeting thing at the end, but how many of you know we're going to do his business first? 
If we have to go a little longer or shorter, I'm not setting a time to anything, but I just want to take a time. If you're here today, you need a healing, we want to pray for you. Amen? Maybe you just need to spend a few minutes before the Lord to allow God to refresh you, revive you, be in His presence. And, uh, and I know we have Pat and Sean and, and hopefully Doris and maybe... Uh, Deborah, thank you. Why, man? I'm only fifty, whatever. So, uh, <laughs> Deborah, could you come up and pray for people as well? Let's just take a little bit of time here, and uh, listen. If you need to come up, or you just need to spend some time with the Lord, uh, we want to do that. I don't want to rush anything. Listen, I just really sense so many times, and you, if, for those of you that have been coming for a while. We most of the time, we go through, we have our worship, we do a, a message, and then we usually have like one song at the end, kind of wrapping it up. But I really just feel like the Lord is wanting to change things up. And at the end of the service, you know, we, we're not doing a cookie cutter, but we don't want to rush with just a song and then, then boogie out our way. We want to take some time for the Lord to do a work in us. Amen. So it might be one song, it might be three songs, who knows? We're just going to give the Lord some time to do that. So if you're here and you need a touch from God, I'm going to encourage you to come up. We do have anointing oil up here, if uh, any of our prayer team. And we're just going to believe God for the miraculous, amen? And we're going to leave the results to Him. Listen, we kicked away our expectations, right? And we're just saying, Holy Spirit, do what you want. Do what you want. So let's just take a few minutes or however long God wants, and just say, God, I want you to have your way. Can we just say that to him? Say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Have your way. If you're here today and that that anxiety that Pastor Colling talked about, maybe that's already been lifted. But if it hasn't, listen, don't leave here until that thing is off. Don't leave here until you're walking in the peace that God has promised us. He says it's a peace that passes understanding. It's not just a promise, it's something real. He will actually lift that off of you to where the circumstance may not have changed, but guess what? You've changed. And so we're going to take some time. Can I have, if, if you want to stand, I'm going to encourage you to do that, but we're just going to sing unto the Lord. And if you need prayer, uh, come on up. And we're going to believe God for miracles. Amen.